Walter Aka. I am I have the pleasure and I say this, the pleasure of having a good friend of mine, somebody who I believe the world needs to know because of what he does. He's a dental anesthesiologist. And a lot of people go, what is a dental anesthesiologist? So that's why I brought him on here. There are 10 different specialties in dentistry, and dental anesthesiology became one of them very recently. So we're going to talk about why. We're going to talk about what dental anesthesiologist is. We're going to talk to Dr. Braxton Henderson. Hello, sir. What's going on? How's it going? Hey, good, man. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate you, man. No, absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. Yeah, man. So we're basically, I mean, the first thing I always want to do is I want to get to know you. I think our audience was going to get to know you. They're going to want to get to know you. Uh, so let me just start off by asking, what brought you into dentistry? Oh, man. It's like uh, it's like you're about to go back to dental school all over again. Huh? Yeah, back to my interview days. <laughs> I think a lot of it was just uh, me being where I was supposed to be. I was a barber in college and I developed those hand skills at such an early age. However, I also was very interested in healthcare. I actually wanted to be a physician when I first um, matriculated into uh, University of Pittsburgh for my undergraduate studies. And I ended up becoming aware of dentistry through my pre-medical society. And we took a trip up to the dental school. And we were able to, you know, drill on some plastic teeth. And I really liked that because I felt that I was very artistic and very good with my hands. And um, next thing I knew, I was calling my mom, telling her I didn't want to go into uh, medical medicine anymore. And I ended up going into dentistry. And uh, dentistry was a good choice for me. My man. Okay. Well, so give us a little background about yourself, where you're from. You talked about going... Um undergrad at University of Pittsburgh, but go ahead mm-hmm. and just kind of expand on that. Yeah, so I'm originally from Tennessee, so I uh, spent probably half of my life in Memphis, half to a little bit greater than half in a small town by the name of Covington, Tennessee. It goes by the name of Seatown. <laughs> <laughs> but I I guess I was pretty, pretty sharp in high school, and um, I was very fortunate and blessed to obtain a uh, a full tuition scholarship to the University of Pittsburgh. And I went to the University of Pittsburgh with uh, aspirations of going to medical school because at the time they had a very highly ranked medical school. Uh, didn't even know that Pitt had a dental school at the time. <laughs> okay. uh, I, I, I was, dentistry was the farthest thing from my mind. Right. But I completed my undergraduate studies and then I went to dental school residency and here I am now. Okay. So let's let's kind of continue with that, right? So you went to dental school. Mm-hmm. What made you decide, you know, to go to dental anesthesia program instead of maybe other programs, other specialties? And at the time dental anesthesia was not a, even a recognized uh specialty, correct? That is correct. That's correct. So I I considered a few different specialties within dentistry early on in my my studies in dental school. However, I was always interested and always liked the the more medically oriented courses. I loved physiology. I loved anatomy, all the anatomies. Pharmacology, I, I like that as well. Um, but I think the class that really did it for me was a local anesthesia course um, that was headed by uh, one of my former faculty, Dr. Matthew Cook. 
and he taught that course. And I was very interested in how you can administer medications to someone and inflict surgical pain in theory to them, but they not even recognize it or even feel it. Um, that was something that was very fascinating to me, how, um, you know, this person could be awake, but not even feel you take a tooth out. You know, I just thought that was amazing how that pharmacologically took place, the mechanism of action behind all of that. Um, and I remember one day I had maybe missed a couple questions on the local anesthesia course, I mean, local anesthesia exam. And I went down to talk to Dr. Cook about it, just see if I get some clarity on the the answers and, you know, so I can, you know, for better understand the material. And I sat down with him in his office and we we're going through the exam. And I remember just sitting there. Mind you, his his office was in the dental anesthesiology department. I was in my second year of dental school and I had never even seen that department in the building. I had no <laughs> idea what it was. Right. So, you know, your whole first year of dental school, you, <laughs> you're like, what you're is this section? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had no idea where I was going. You know, he told me to come down to G whatever. And I um, made a left turn. I'm, what is this department? Um, and I go into his office and we go through some of the answers. And I remember when we were done, I, I looked at him and I asked him, so what what is this? You know, what is dental anesthesiology? What do you all even do? What is this department? OK. Uh, you know, basically, just <laughs> this is your to future that out. you're asking. <laughs> like, yes. what? Do, where am I? And 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 yes. what do you guys do? Yes. How did I get here first? <laughs> and how did you get here? How do, how do I get back <laughs> out? <laughs> um, but I had no idea what it was, and he tried to explain it to me. But the best advice he gave me was, he said, "Hey, if you ever get a free moment in preclinic or anything like that, or if you finish up your classes early or anything, just come down and check us out." Um, you know, you can come down and spend an afternoon with one of the residents and they can, you know, better show you, you know, what this is actually all about. And I remember I went down and uh, shadowed uh, Dr. Slayton Hoffner. He was a uh, first year resident at the time. Right. And, uh, you know, the department kind of took me under the wing, just showing me the ropes because instantly I liked it. I walked down there and I saw that this they were not doing dentistry at all. It was so so strange to me, but I loved it. I thought it was right. Amazing. So you went you, first. You didn't <clears throat> want to even think about dentistry. Then you thought about dentistry because of your hands skills and everything that went along with that. Then you all basically right. said, "Huh, they're not doing dentistry at all." Was that a weird transition for you to say, "I finally decided I want to do dentistry. I want to, you know, create some beautiful smile and so forth." But now you're heading away from dentistry again, almost right. back so, to almost back question. to medicine, right? Exactly, exactly. At that particular junction, I was very confused. That's medicine. And there were a lot of things that I did like about dentistry. I'm not one of those dentist anesthesiologists that, you know, completely hates dentistry. I've always loved dentistry and I still do. I still like it. Um, it's just that I thought the anesthesia was more fascinating and I thought that was something I would enjoy doing more every day. And I toyed with the idea of not doing anesthesia several times. Um, one of the things that I thought that I would miss would be the ability to establish rapport and follow patients um, throughout life because I wanted to go into general dentistry. I didn't want to do any other specialty besides anesthesia. And I was going back and forth between going to general practice 
uh, versus doing um, an anesthesia residency. And I had a couple of the residents, you know, talk to me and, you know, just explain some of the benefits. And I really, I took a chance on it. But the more I tried to get away from anesthesia and think I wanted to go back to general dentistry, it's like the more it kept, you know, bringing me back. Um, it kept calling me back. So I ended up applying to the residency. I applied to Pitt and a couple other programs and I matched at Pitt, which was, thank God, was my number one choice. So I was very <laughs> grateful to uh, attend the University of Pittsburgh uh, Department of Dental Anesthesiology. So how many programs are there in the United States, if you know the answer? Well, I can just articulate. I can, I can shout them out out loud. <laughs> it's up yeah. to you, count. but I mean, yeah, I can count them out. Is um, it is it more than ten? Is it no less no, no. than? I think 10. there are ten total, counting Canada's Toronto. Wow. Yes. So I mean, I kind of so, want to speak on that because mm-hmm. out of out of ten, less than ten, even we'll say ten, right? Just to kind of make the math easier. So ten, and how many uh, residents are each class? About three. Uh, I think the average now is three to four. Three to four. But there are some larger programs like Lutheran. I think Lutheran takes six. Okay. Uh, Pitt takes four. Right. Stony Brook takes four. Right. Um, a couple of other programs I'm not really sure about. But um, we do have a new residency program that is starting to take residents for this upcoming. Actually, they're taking their first two residents now. Uh, University of Illinois, Chicago. So, there you go. So uh, we'll say a total of maybe like 60 every year. So you have probably about what, um, 2,000, 3,000, maybe 4,000 dental students. And you were one of 60 maybe at the time when you applied? At the time for me, I think I was like one of 35. Oh, one of 35. So again, that kind of speaks to the, the, what you just did. You basically, mm-hmm got past everybody else that wanted to go into this program, became one of 35, right? So you really, you know, I mean, I know you're a humble guy, but I got to kind of hype you up on that. I, I think what you did was was just tremendous, right? You found a path that was not dental-related, really. I mean, yes, we, we work with dental anesthesiologists as dentists, but you found a path that was kind of more medical, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about your residency. We're going to talk about what you had to do. But the fact that you found a love said, okay, how can I go ahead and get into this program and really honed your skill in order to be a good candidate to get in, I think speaks very highly of you. Uh, but what advice would you give any student who is, I'm, I'm going to say confused, because I think that's the word you used. <laughs> you were confused. What would you say to these students who are in dental school right now and, and just don't know? I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And you find something that you're excited about, but it's not the, it's not the traditional route. Right. So, um, great question. One of the things I think that presents a challenge to our field, um, you know, we're a specialty now. That's amazing. Yes. Um, it's long overdue. However, there are so few dental schools that actually have a department in their school. You know, so at the University of Pittsburgh, every dental student is aware of what we do. Every resident in the building is aware of what we do. Every staff member, every faculty member, people in Pittsburgh overall, if you're a dentist and you're in the city of Pittsburgh, you know about what we do. Um, so there's an exposure piece. Um, so there are a lot of dental students who are in places across the country that have never heard of this because there are no programs within their proximity 
or even in their institution. So it's one of those things that, hey, if you've never heard of it and nobody talks about it because they've never heard of it, then how could you ever be interested in it? Just like me, I was in the building and I still had no idea what was going on. I I would have learned more as I had gotten into my second, my third year of dental school because I would have worked with them through, um, you know, different clinics or whatever, the the anesthesia residents. However, um, it's just one of those things that, you know, if if you lack the exposure, then how can you develop an interest? Um, You know, it's, it's a great thing that we have obtained our specialty recognition to where we can, uh, you know, really advocate for more residency programs or more faculty positions at the different institutions across the country. Um, because at the end of the day, since it is an ADA recognized specialty, um, I do think that there, uh, that warrants uh, representation and it warrants, uh, <clears throat> exposure to the students as far as their education is concerned as well. Okay. Uh, let's talk about just the history of dental anesthesia, right? So I looked it up a little bit because I want to be prepared. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I need to be on your level. So let me just look into it real quick, right? And uh, it, it actually is funny because it started about about 200 years ago by, and tell me if I'm, I'm pronouncing these people correct, right? Horace Wells and William yep. Morton. Morton. That's correct. That's right. right. That's correct. And they're the ones in Connecticut that brought, two dentists that brought dental anesthesia kind of as well as we know it right they were using uh laughing gas and Mm -hmm. and ether is that correct not only to dentistry they brought anesthesia to the forefront for for all medicines oh okay so two dentists actually brought actually brought it alive okay and before Mm -hmm. them what were were they doing drink some whiskey (laughs) okay so back (laughs) in the day it's like look you're about to get your leg amputated drink some whiskey let's see how it works out yeah bite on this Wow. Okay. And so then, you know, time goes along. M- mind you, this is tw- 200 years ago, right? Time goes on. Anesthesia's gotten better. Med- medical school's using it. They have their own anesthesiologists. Mm-hmm. Why is it until until March 11, 2019, the dental anesthesiologists finally be- become recognized by the ADA? And I just want your opinion on it because I-, I-, I have my opinion. After looking mm-hmm. into it, I have my opinion. You know, and it's going to wait, but let's talk about your opinion. <laughs> it is. Well, I am a, I am a, a new guy in town uh, when it comes to not only being in North Carolina, but also being in the field. Um, you know, but based on, you know, many conversations that I've had with my chairman, uh, Dr. Joseph Giovanetti, who great guy, uh, by the way, great guy, very, very respect, well respected, well known guy in the um, in in dentistry, right? Overall, um, but you know, with the conversation I've had with him, and of course, he was very close with Dr. Bennett and trained him, and Bennett, of course, with uh, Dr. Monheim, who who started administering anesthesia as a dentist back in like. World War Two or something, you know, uh, but there is a lot of politics behind, you know, what's been going on. Um, you know, I'm not going to pinpoint any particular person or group or entity right. or anything like that. Um, but honestly, uh, you know, based on the information that that I've been given, as well as things that I've seen in my short experience, there's been a lot of politics involved. And um um, it has a lot to do with 
people being concerned about us basically trying to control uh, anesthesia or the administration of anesthesia overall. Because um, as a specialty or as a specialist training under your specialty, then that's what you do. For example, you're, you're a periodontist. Mm -hmm. If anyone wants to, any general practitioner wants to do um, the everyday job of a periodontist, wh whether that be, you know, free gingival grafts, scaling, root planing, et cetera. Right. Then if anything goes wrong or whatever, you're going to be upheld to the standards of that specialist. Right. Um, and with the concern for that being also reflected with the delivery of anesthesia, of course, that could be, you know, something that people would potentially be uh, cautious about right. as far as, um, allowing us to obtain specialist status right. um, because, you know, there are a lot of different dental providers who do administer some level of sedation, whether that be, you know, conscious sedation, the, uh, uh, you know, the enteral route, parenteral route, uh, deep sedation and so forth. Uh, so um, with that, you know, also comes, you know, access to care for your patients. Um, also comes the financial piece. Uh, you know, so there are a lot of different factors that go into it, and um, I'm not going to say what's right or what's wrong, but what I've been presented all ties down to basically politics. Okay. Well, you're a nice guy, because I'm going to go ahead and talk, and I'm going to go ahead and bring it out there, right? So I was a, I was very much into uh, uh, the American Dental Association. I was a student uh, board member uh, at, the, at the University of Pittsburgh, and you know, politics is exactly correct. Anytime you're in, you're involved in any kind of political, you know, organization or anything like that, there's always a few people that feel threatened by the new kid on the block, right? Mm -hmm. And I honestly believe what happened was just like you said, if something goes wrong, you're held to the standard of that specialty. And if an oral surgeon, if a general dentist is doing anesthesia, it's administering anesthesia, and something, God forbid, goes wrong, then they're going to say, did you follow the criteria that the dental anesthesiologist would have followed? Right. And I honestly believe because they didn't want to be held to that level, that's why they blocked your specialty, specialty from becoming uh, uh, recognized by the American Dental Association. That's my personal belief. I may be wrong, but I think I'm right. Because in the end, anybody that wants to do dental anesthesia, that's perfectly fine. But you also have to be held to a high standard because you have people's lives in your hand. How could you possibly do the surgery and make sure that that person that you sedated, put to sleep, is okay? I personally was taught by your department to do moderate and and somewhat and i'm not going to say deep deep sedation right but iv sedation right and i per, i don't feel comfortable doing the surgery as the periodontist and on top of that making sure that i'm keeping track of that patient there's no way that's why i work with dental anesthesiologists and i think everybody in the dental field should do the same exact thing not everybody's going to agree with me i get it but I truly believe that if you're going to be held to that standard, if you're going to make sure that your patient is okay, you need somebody else taking it, keeping an eye on that patient when they're asleep. And that goes for oral surgeons. I know they've been doing it for a very long time. 
But again, how could you possibly keep track of somebody when you're busy doing surgery? You can't split your head in half. You can't split your mind in half and say, I'm going to do both of them equally uh, as well. Well, I mean, it's good that you that you, you know, think that way because, you know, at the end of the day, it's always good to understand, you know, what your limitations are. Right. Um, and, and, and be mindful of that because at the end of the day, you want to put the patient's safety at the forefront. However, there, you know, I can honestly say I've worked with some amazing oral surgeons as well as other providers um, that uh, even dentists anesthesiologists who have developed this very strong um, team-based approach to okay. their practice. Okay. Um, and that's one thing that's very different than anything I've ever seen out in any other subspecialty of medicine. And it's very unique. And when done correctly, I will honestly say it is very safe as long as you have the right patient selection, uh, as well as, you know, the, the right support, et cetera. Um, you know, so I, I can't, I can't say that it's not doable. Right. However, you know, things get hairy whenever you have, you know, patients that are more medically compromised, right. whenever you're treating children, you know, things like that. But, you know, um, you know, once again, there are oral surgeons, you know, that have been doing this thing for years with an extremely high safety track record. Um, so I'd be remiss if I wouldn't recognize that and understand that, hey, you know, there are parts of the country where we just can't be. Okay. You know, there are 37, 40 residents graduating each year. Um, there are more oral surgery programs than that. Right. You know, so with that in mind, it's just impossible for us to to be able to be everywhere because of how small of a group we are. However, the one thing that I'm really passionate about now that, you know, of course, I'm, I'm happy to say that I'm a board certified dentist anesthesiologist, um, but also I have transitioned to a position as a, a member of the strategic planning committee uh, with the American Society of Dentist Anesthesiologists is to enhance the safety standards um, in anesthesia for dentistry. So basically what my desire is, um, is for everybody to basically up the ante when it comes to whatever type of sedation that they're performing. Now, not saying that we're going to go to a deeper level, but we're going to increase our level of preparation, um, our emergency preparedness. Um, our pharmacology education, et cetera, just making sure that, you know, if we're going to do this as a field outside of dental anesthesiologists or dentist anesthesiologists, that, you know, we're making sure that we're putting the patient first. Um, that's really what I'm concerned about. I really think that, you know, patient safety should be our number one goal, even when approaching, you know, giving a halcyon pill and nitrous, you know, down to the what some people will consider to be the simplest or the easiest sedation or anesthetic, in my opinion, is one of the most unsafe. Gotcha. Um, so I think that even down to what some will consider to be 
um, even the most mundane level of sedation or anesthesia and dentistry, I think that we really need to up the ante as far as our preparedness for emergencies or uh, up the ante when it comes to our education about what we're actually doing whenever we administer any level of sedation to patients. Okay. Can you tell me um, on a daily basis, you know, with you, you have your own business, yes. right? You, um, you travel to different offices providing anesthesia. Tell me on a daily basis, what do you do? Because and I, I don't think we've gotten to that point yet. What do you actually do to help patients? Like, why do we need you? So I would say probably 90 to 95% of my practice is kids. Uh, I'm going to areas where these children have no other way to be seen. Um, so a lot of the practices that I'm affiliated with as far as I'm being an independent contractor, um, they will have providers who also have um, credentialing at hospitals to treat patients as well, uh, pediatric dentists and so forth. Um, when it comes to treating children, pediatric dentists, general dentists, whatever. Um, however, whenever you have children who are privately insured, you have children that, you know, can't be seen for two months because they're backed up at the hospital and you have an acute infection or um, the kid's in pain or something like that, or the kid's privately insured and in order to be seen at the hospital or the surgery center, it's going to cost them $15,000. i have heard that number. I actually wow. have. Yes, $15,000 um, to see this kid. Um, you know, that's a barrier to care, if you could imagine. It is. Um, so one of the things that a lot of dentists and anesthesiologists do is we go out to these places where um, – Basically, children can't obtain care any other way, any other, any other way. Um, and these will be situations in which children have failed nitrous oxide sedation. These children have failed even oral conscious sedations. And the dentists have basically tried everything they can without, you know, putting the kid in a papoose and just, you know, getting the dentistry done on a screaming kid. Uh, so in these situations, the parents are grateful, the dentists are grateful for us to be able to come in and treat their children, provide them a very comfortable and safe experience. Um, and whenever the, the children wake up from anesthesia, all the dentistry is done. So they never had a scary appointment. Um, they didn't have to go through all those, you know, traumatic things that they associated with the dental office. And, you know, parents are very grateful as well as the providers because because it allowed them to be able to treat a kid that needed the work. When I'm coming in, I'm treating kids that have, I mean, full mouth reconstructions, man. Wow. I mean, I'm talking about cavities on almost every tooth that would have taken, you know, 10 to 12 visits. Uh, and, you know, the benefit for, of what we do is it allows them to get the work done in one visit. Okay. Can we translate that to adults? Yeah. So with adults, you know, you have a lot of adults who, due to their dental anxiety, are deathly afraid of the dentist. Due to gag reflexes, they can't get x-rays. They can't allow the handpiece to go so far back in their mouth. Um, due to the inability to, be, to get numb with local anesthesia. There are a lot of patients 
um, that have difficulty with that. You have patients with special needs, uh, which is a, a very great uh, subsector sub of patients that we um, are very good at working with. And a lot of providers don't know how to treat or even refuse to treat. Um, and also you have those patients that have extensive work. You know, there are patients who might have, you know, all on fours, um, patients who may have multiple implants on top, multiple implants on the bottom, and they want it all done in one day. And, you know, just think about how much local anesthesia that's going to take. Right. Um, you know, we could help on that side as well by being able to anesthetize the patient. You might not have to max out on your local, even go past the max um, in order to keep the patient comfortable. Um, so and also patients that are medically compromised. You know, there are some patients who um, may benefit from a, um, a cardiovascular um, perspective to actually have some form of, you know, moderate sedation to keep their hemodynamics at bay if they're extremely anxious about anesthesia or about dental surgery as well as um, blunt any responses to pain, et cetera. So uh, we can definitely help be a part of the dental team in order to treat, uh, you know, all of these patients and many more um, to kind of help, you know, facilitate access to care for adults and children. And uh, most importantly, and let's not forget patients with special needs. Right, right. Um, so I guess we'll kind of wrap it up here. But if you had to give advice to, you know, the the people that are listening, because a lot of our listeners are just basic patients, you know, people that aren't dentists. What would you say they need to look out for? What do you say that a dental anesthesiologist really provides for the general population? Well, we're the, we're the experts. We're the anesthesia experts in dentistry. Okay, so um, when it comes to um, any any form of sedation, you know, we can go from you know light conscious to general. When it comes to any type of sedation or anesthesia. In dentistry, we are the experts. Uh, <clears throat> also, um, our training allows us to be able to handle, you know, so many different things, so many different comorbidities, as well as so many different dental environments. Uh, we're very familiar with the dental setting. Uh, we're very familiar with, you know, working in dental office. We're very familiar with um, dental surgeries as well. So we know how to tailor our anesthetics very specifically. Um, to manage that and to treat that appropriately. Um, <clears throat> and also, you know, we're here to help. Okay. You know, we, we're here to provide a service for not only for our, our dentists, our dental colleagues, um, but for the patients. There are a lot of patients out there who have no, you know, also have no idea that, you know, that we exist. Okay. Um, they will go to their dentist and they'll say, tell the dentist, hey, I want to be sedated. Can you do that? And then the dentist gets in contact with us. Okay. So a lot of patients don't even know to first. I mean, of course, you don't first go out to us, but they may not know about us until we get there, you know, and introduce ourselves. Um, so uh, do I think everybody needs to be sedated for their treatment? Absolutely not. You know, we have to weigh risk versus benefit. However, for the patients that it would benefit, you know, we are here to help uh, for the dentists out there, um, oral surgeons, any specialists out there in dentistry. We're here to help. We're just here to, you know, um, increase patient safety and access to care 
Um, but most importantly, create a comfortable and relaxing experience at the dentist. Okay. Last question. Uh, if, a, if somebody's looking for a dental anesthesiologist, do you guys take insurance and, and how does that work with insurance, their dental insurance or medical insurance? And do you take yeah. either or? So it depends on the state. You know, um, <clears throat> some states um, do cover dental anesthesia on the medical side. Um, even on the private insurance side. So that's something that you would definitely have to um, consult your insurance provider about. Um, a lot of providers do accept Medicaid. Medicaid does pay for it, I think, in almost every state. But when it comes to private insurers, it depends on the state. Um, there are some providers who don't accept insurance at all because, you know, one of the things about insurance, they don't make it easy. No, no, we've <laughs> had this anyone, discussion. Regardless of what you do, or who <laughs> we've you had this are, discussion. They don't make it easy for you to treat patients. Right. So, um, there are some providers who who just choose to not deal with insurers and um, only you know interact directly with the patients. So, um, you know, there are many different ways that um, providers across the country um, set, have set it up as far as being able to. Uh, provide treatment for patients, but that would be something that the patient would have to um, look into regarding uh, regarding reimbursement and things like that with their provider. Okay. And real quick, um, if someone wants to get in touch with you, what are some of the avenues to, you know, the name of your practice, uh, you know, if you have a website or anything like that, social media, please? Absolutely. Um, so the name of my company is Southern Office Based Anesthesia, uh, SOBA. My website is www.sobaanesthesia.com, and um, there's a lot of information there about what we do. Um, you can also visit the uh, American Society of Dentist Anesthesiologists website, very great resource for dental providers across the country as well as patients to familiarize yourself about what we actually do. Um, that's www.asdahq.org. Um, so, you know, once again, you know, we're just here to help. We're here to, you know, make sure that the patient comes first. All right. That's awesome, man. I really, I, I love the fact that, you know, patients now have avenues. I mean, dentistry doesn't have to be scary anymore. And you are a big part of that now, right? Because most patients, the one thing they talk about is, oh, I hate the needle or I hate that drilling sound. If you're asleep and you have a lot of work you have to get done, guess what? You don't hear any of that. So you have an experience when you wake up, you're like, oh, man. What? You're done already? Yeah, it's been an hour or two. You had no idea, you know? And that's nice to see and that's nice to have, you know? So I really appreciate that. Let me ask you one question before you leave. Yes. Outside of dentistry, what are your hobbies? Oh, man, I have... And you can mention the Eagles, by the way, because that's okay. something... People think I'm biased because I keep bringing Eagles fan on, but I just feel like the people that are really good just happen to be Eagles fan. So... I mean, there's <laughs> something to be said about that, honestly. It's the truth. <laughs> um, you know, I have a beautiful wife and a uh, two-year-old son that I love spending time with. Um, we love to travel. Um, we love to eat in different places. I'm a barbecue enthusiast. Yes. Um, I love to get on the barbecue grill. My moniker is Grill Smith. Okay. Um, I enjoy uh, watching Netflix shows. Uh, I enjoy working out. Um, I really enjoy my job. I really do. That's it. I, I know that might sound cliche or corny, but 
You know, I really do enjoy what I do. I, I find it very fun. I think uh, patients are hilarious. <laughs> uh, and I, I love hearing what they say whenever they wake up. Right. It's one of those things that never gets old to me. You should start but, like uh, a YouTube channel just to hear, you know, <laughs> after sedation, you know what I mean? Hippo, hippo, hippo. hippo. True words, just cover their face, blur it out. Yeah, I can de <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> but yes, um, you know, I, I really don't get to watch many sports, um, but, you know, I'm a huge Eagles fan, Fly Eagles Fly. That's right. And um, shout out to the Memphis Grizzlies and the Pitt Panthers. You know, those are my sports teams, Memphis Tigers. Right. But, you know, uh, I think I'm a pretty normal person, I guess. Okay. Well, I, we definitely appreciate you coming on here. I think this was, I mean, just overdue. It was overdue. Uh, to know that you have that option now, I think is wonderful. And to have somebody like yourself who is leading the way for future uh, Dan anesthesiologist I think is also very good and excellent uh, we definitely appreciate you thank you again for coming on I'm gonna you know we're, we're, you're gonna have all the websites and everything that he mentioned in the show notes but we'll talk more and then we'll go from there thank you so much appreciate you man thank you Dr. Doc. I really appreciate it thanks for your time thanks for allowing me to speak about what we do thank you not at all thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told if you have any questions or comments please email us at realdentist with an s at gmail.com. That's real dentist, R E A L, dentist with an S, at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.